Welcome to another edition of the Colourful Kit Podcast Extra with Tom Harrison as Liga Emerkis made a glorious return after the referee strike. Let's crack on with today's show, get straight into it and we're going to start off not by talking about Liga Emerkis, we're going to talk about this week's big topic is El Tri and the upcoming games, uh, the World Cup qualifiers. If you've forgotten who they're against, uh, Mexico play, first of all, against Costa Rica, that's in the Azteca, and they will then face Trinidad and Tobago, um, and that will be out uh, on a away trip in, I'm, I'm assuming Trinidad, as it's the larger island, I'm not quite sure where they play though. Um, so, on paper, you know, two games which you think Mexico should be winning, um, to be honest. You look at the recent record of, of Mexico and you, you take out the Chile game and it's, it's an incredible recent record um, in terms of results. Obviously, the performances have probably told a different story than, than the results just looking at them, but... You know, um, Mexico have picked up a lot of wins under Osorio, and you have to th- you have to think that on paper they should be picking up two more in these games. But as we know, football, particularly international football, is not played on paper, and Mexico are a side that can disappoint often. Uh, as a, you know, we know very, very, very well. Okay, let's. Uh, go in a little bit of detail and talk about uh, the, the potential um, lineups, you know, tactics and, and um, you know, have a look at the squad. So the squad that came out on Thursday was, to most people, fairly pleasing. I, I, I gather that that's the impression I got from looking around on Twitter, reading a couple of articles. People were, were fairly pleased with it, you know, there, there weren't too many big surprises in terms of players there are a couple of of injury absentees and there are a couple of young players that people might have wanted in the team particularly Gutierrez and Cesar Montes that didn't make it but apart from that people seemed yeah fairly happy with the squad the squad alludes itself to one thing tactically and that is three at the back you look at the the amount of center backs in the squad you've got Salcedo Reyes and Marquez, who could play midfield as well, but if they're playing a back three, you'd, you'd probably fancy him to play as the middle one. Um, you've got Nestor Araujo from Santos, you've got Hector Moreno, you've got Alanis in there as well. So six natural centre-backs in the squad is a huge amount to take, really. I know it's a 25-man squad, not a 23-man squad. That seems to be what Asuria looks to do now, take 25 players and then drop two for, for the match days. Which is quite a good idea, I think. It, it particularly helps when you have player, you know, any players suspended or players that might you know, pick up a knock or something, um, rather than having to draft in replacements. Then, then you already have them there. So, yeah, I think it's it's not a bad idea. But six centre backs is a huge amount, and it, it really suggests that he's going to play three at the back. But, and there is a big but here, and that is that. Asurio normally likes to cater what he does to the opposition. So, for example, if the other team are going to play with two up front, he will play with three central defenders. 
uh, with the theory that that gives his side an overload in that area of the field. But if the other team plays one up front, he often likes to go with a back four because you only need two to create an overload in, in that side of, side of the field. So it's it's um, something that he he's quite rigid in the, in the sense that he sticks to this. And it sort of makes me wonder why he's selected a squad that is set up to be a three-back when potentially he could adapt his formation and play with four, four at the back if the other team goes with one up front. And looking at the recent games of some of the of the teams that Mexico are playing, um, that may may well be the case that the other team plays with one up front. Costa Rica in their two World Cup qualifiers so far have played with one up front in both of their games. Trinidad and Tobago played with two up front against uh, Honduras, but they played with one up front against uh, Costa Rica. It's suggesting there that the both teams may actually turn up with one up front, and in that scenario. Asuria may want to go with four at the back, which makes yeah really makes you wonder why why you'd bring six six centre backs. Uh, it's a huge amount. What's even more confusing is when you see that there's no right back in the squad, no natural right back, and there's a host of players that can play there from Miguelayun uh, to Salcedo and Reyes, and uh, also Jesus Duenas, but. Those players are not natural right backs. I do really wonder why you would, why you would, you know, you've called up twenty-five men in this squad. Why would you not have a natural right back? I know these players can do a job there, but surely they're not going to be as good as someone who plays right back week in week out, and for them, it's their natural position. But um, particularly when in Liga Mekis, we're not short of right backs right now. Yes, Paul Aguiar is only just coming back from injury and he's not ready to play for Mexico yet. But Fernando Navarro and uh, Chapo Sanchez from Chivas have had fantastic seasons. They've both proved themselves. And I know in the past they haven't been great players. But this season, both of them have been on the top of their game. And they've done absolutely nothing wrong in terms of trying to earn a call up to the Mexico squad. Mexico can play with Layun at right back, but um, that would mean they play. And another weird decision, Luis Reyes back in the squad uh, as, as a backup left back. I mean, I know uh, Torres Nilo hasn't done great for Mexico, but you know, Luis Reyes is, is inexperienced. Um, he's, he's playing his first season in Liga Mekis for Atlas. And yeah, he's done quite well, but he hasn't set the world alight. Uh, you know, someone like like perhaps Manny Garcia, um, you could say, deserves a call-up more, who's consistently been a, a top player in Liga Mekis for, for a while now. So, a bit of a... a bit of a strange one, to be honest, to see him in, in the squad. It was very strange to see him in the squad for the, the game against um, Iceland, it was, and... But that, that was a domestic-only squad, and now it, this is a serious World Cup qualifier, and <laughs> he's called up a guy who's, yeah, he's literally had one season in Liga Mekis. It's, it's, it's really, really strange. Very strange to see. Um, the other options for right-back, again, I don't really like any of them, to be honest. You know, Duenas I don't think is good enough to be in the squad as a centre-mid, um, so to start him as a right-back, I'm, I'm not a big fan. And... Reyes Salcedo have, have both been poor at right back in the past. 
And in these two games, these are the sorts of games where you want your fullbacks to attack. You don't want them to play as defensive fullbacks. You want them to support the attack and, and offer width. And playing centre backs at right back isn't your way to do this. And this is something that, that kind of annoys me a little bit when you see teams that. If a team wants to play with a sort of a flat back four that stay back, fine, put your centre backs at fullback. But if you're going to play with fullbacks that you want to get forward and support the attack, why do managers see centre back and fullback as sort of um, similar positions where people can play both? If you're a centre back, you can play fullback. But if you're attacking fullback, you can't play as you can't be a centre back and play there. It's completely different demands. You've got to um, have great crossing, dribbling. You've got to have the energy to get back and forward. You need so much more stamina and pace than you do as a centre-back. They're completely incompatible positions, in my, um, in my opinion. And it doesn't make sense to me that, that managers sometimes see them as compatible, compatible positions. So, yeah, uh, I, I don't understand this, this lack of right-back in the squad, to be honest. As a whole, will these games be any good? Well... Probably not. I mean, when's the last time you even you saw a game, a Mexico game that wasn't a you know a, a big tournament game that was really really entertaining? Even the U.S. game was pretty good. It was dramatic, but it wasn't. You know, it wasn't fantastic. Apart from the big tournaments, in general, international football isn't great. It really isn't, and. Yeah. I think it it says a lot when you know Mexico call up players from Europe who've moved away from Liga Mekis to to you know so-called bigger leagues, better leagues, and what you'd expect then is for the quality to go up, the quality of games to go up. But I often feel like they don't, and this is you know this isn't just a Mexico thing. International football in general isn't great, and I think for me the problem is the way it's scheduled. I don't think you can expect... Well, you can't. You can't expect a team who meet up, you know, fly from from all over the world, in this case, um, meet up for a couple of days of training, and then play two games, and then fly away again, and then they don't see each other for a few months. How can you expect a manager, a coach, to do a great job with them? How can you expect them to build a team that play really good football and play the style that he wants to, to play? How can you expect the players to gel and to to have a connection with each other and to show that on the field? I think the international system is poor, the way international football is run, and it just leads to poor quality games. What I'd love to see, I saw some write about this a few months ago, and I'd never thought about it before, and I read it, and I was like, this is it. This is the fantastic idea lump all the games together so instead of having these random international breaks either have like two international breaks or just one a year where you have like a month period and you get all the players together you can you can get you know you have a week's training maybe play a friendly in that time and then you go in and you play all your world cup qualifiers at once and i think this would just greatly enhance the quality of football because by getting players together for longer and having more time working with their coaches, they're going to have you know, more more of an idea of um, 
of how to play together and you'll see better quality football better quality tactics and yeah I, I just think it would make international football a lot more interesting because right now international football is is pretty poor uh, compared to club football and you know Mexico fans love international football in general but because they love their country they love Mexico uh, but I think we have to admit that the standard of the games is normally not very good. And, you know, we normally go off kind of disappointed by Mexico. But I have to say, I don't think that's all the fault of the coach, the players. I think there's, they're limited in what they can do with such a, sort, a, such a short space of time. This week's Player of the Week is Oribe Peralta, who just keeps fighting back every single time he is written off. Every single time he's doubted, he comes back and shows what, he, what he's still all about, what he's capable of. 33 years old now, and he's still you know, a top, top player in Liga Mekis. America's game against Pumas could have been... Uh, absolutely enormous I mean it was a massive massive win for them I can't understate how big a result it was for Las Aguilas who have been dull poor this season their team they came with looked an absolute mess on the day you know they had Mares at centre back Edson Alvarez right wing back they had um Diego Lainez, 16-year-old starting, you know, should it, obviously he's a great talent, but I think it says a lot about the, the depth of Club America when, I know they have injury suspensions, etc., but I think it says a lot about their depth when they're playing a 16-year-old. You know, this is meant to be the biggest and best team in Mexico, and, and they're playing a 16-year-old on their team. I think that says a lot. So, they, they came looking weak, and... I really didn't fancy them to win, you know? I I didn't fancy them to get something out of this game. But they they turned up, the big players turned up, and none more so than Peralta. Peralta on the day got a goal and an assist, as well as playing a key role in the Cecilio Dominguez winner. So Peralta's goal, interestingly, is his 10th of, of the whole season, Apertura and Clausura. And this is now the sixth season in a row that he has scored uh, in double figures. So a very impressive tally. Just touching on the Dominguez goal, which obviously a massive, massive moment for America to win. And they did so well to, you know, they'd lost that two goal lead and to, to bounce back from that when they were completely under the caution and come up with a winner. Peralta, what Peralta did was very clever, but also could be seen as a foul in my opinion he yeah, someone described I saw someone describe it as like a like a block in um, I guess they're talking about American football I guess uh, yeah he was like a blocker um, and then blocked a defender so that Dominguez had the space to run into and, and get a shot off it, it would have been very very harsh but it really could have been seen as a foul but credit to Peralta for doing it, you know, he didn't get called on it and it was a, a clever move and, and really, I don't think, I don't think Dominguez would have scored without the impact of Peralta there. So he's played a key role in all three goals, one goal, one assist and, and, and that impact for the Dominguez goal. Big, big performance and 
if America make Ligia, we could be looking back at this game and thinking that this was the turning point now. They're ninth in the table and they're going to ha have a massive morale boost after this result. Plus, you know, they do have a lot of injuries, but with the international break, it's come at the right time for them. They should get some, some big players back, particularly Paul Aguilar could be back soon. So, yeah, a big, big win for them. As ever, thank you all for all the questions that have come in. We've got quite a few to get through today, so let's crack on. And the first one comes from at Futbolisto on Twitter, who asks, do you think Mexico can get to organize the World Cup 2026, maybe along with the US? So this is something interesting that's been in and around the news in the past, I don't know, a few months or so, maybe a bit longer than that. Mexico might be interested, well, sounds like they are interested in hosting the 2026 World Cup. There's been rumours of a joint bid with the US, joint bid with, with Canada, perhaps something in all three. And then with the election of Trump, we've had reports that if there's still a travel ban in, I mean, God forbid if the guy's still in charge in 2026, but if there's still any form of Trump travel ban, then they may not be allowed to host it by FIFA, which I think would be, I mean, I, th I think it's, I think that would be right. <laughs> you've, you've got to question FIFA's uh, morals with where they've given the World Cup to in the past and their own history. But yeah, anyone can qualify for the World Cup. So of course you can't be blocking a anyone from one country from entering because <laughs> they may qualify for the World Cup. So I think it's just impractical to do, um, as as well as as all the you know the moral arguments behind it. I think personally, I, I I'd like to see Mexico make a bid on their own. I feel like they've they've kind of joined up with the US because they want to get rid of the competition. Perhaps they just feel that the US would beat them. But even with the larger World Cup, I think Mexico is big enough uh, to do it on their own. The country's big enough. They've got enough stadiums. Obviously, they they improve and build a couple more, but I think right now they've they've you're, you're nearly there. They've, there's a lot of good stadiums in Mexico right now, um, particularly after some some big redevelopments and you know the new the new build in in Monterrey as well. So, yeah, I I think I think it would be great for Mexico if they host it, even even if it's on even if it's uh, with America and, and not on their own, which I would prefer if it was on their own. But yeah, I, th I think they could do it. And I'd, I'd, yeah, it'd be really exciting, you know? Hopefully um, I might be able to go. Next question comes from uh, at Jeanette L93. I've got two questions from her. The first one is, what do you think has been happening with Leon? They can't get anything right lately. <laughs> I mean, they really can't. It's been a mess this season, absolutely. Six points from 10 games, another defeat on, on Saturday against Toluca in a game that they could have got something from. They lost it late on. They've been terrible. They've really been terrible, and it it comes as a big surprise considering so much momentum seems to be with them. Ever since Torrente took over, they were the form team of, of Liga Mekis, and... They, they could have gone on and won Ligia. They lost narrowly in the semi-finals. And now they're bottom of the table. 
bottom. You know, a lot of people probably thought they were going to go on to to be one of the best teams this season, but they're bottom of the table. And Torrente, I there's I have a little, little look at it. It's very interesting. His record: first eleven games at Leon, seven wins, four draws, no defeats. Next thirteen games, one win, three draws. The rest defeats. So that's just it's quite unthinkable to be honest that that this has happened but i'm going to come back to an article i wrote a few months ago and that was when torrente joined leon and i wrote about his style of play his pressing style how he was influenced by bielsa or he was assistant manager to bielsa at marseille so he's he's a big you know bielsa right and he plays his pressing style and, and at the start it worked really well with Leon. I think instantly in their first game they were 3-0 up in like 20 minutes and, and a lot of the goals had come from them winning the ball back high up the field. But Mexico is a country with a lot of heat and a lot of altitude and this makes games very physically draining for players. So perhaps what's happened here is that they've burned out already. You know, maybe they put in so much effort physically and, and mentally, psych- psychologically as well to get into that Ligia, to have a run at the title and they've they've pressed too far and yeah, maybe they're just tired, you know they they don't look to be have the, the same pressing the same intensity as they did last season uh, they look a bit lost to be honest, they look a bit out of ideas another thing that could be possible is that Leon played a, a very direct style under Torrente and direct football can can be very effective but in the long term, uh, you wonder whether you can have consistent success because statistically, I think something like 60% of teams that have more possession win the game. So in the long term, can you have success with direct football? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And if you get worked out, then you know teams can, can end up really taking advantage because they, they're going to have the ball a lot longer than, than you are. So... I think Torrente's style, which worked so well last season, may have come back to haunt him this season. The other one from uh, Janet is about Senia. Has Senia filled the void in your heart left by Botta? So if you haven't seen already, where have you been? Senia's assist in the Leon game, by the way. Senia's assist, the reverse pass after turning the defender. To set up Mendes for the game winner was just unbelievably good. Unbelievable. Uh, but no, he hasn't filled the void in my heart, left by Potter. Senior's always has always had his own special place in my heart. It would be it would be rude to Senior to suggest that he can even be compared to another footballer. He is a very, very special man and the fact that he's still playing in Liga Mekis and producing big, big moments at the age of 40 is extraordinary. Absolutely extraordinary. The guy is just such a genius and he proves why footballing intelligence is so important and proves that with footballing intelligence and technical ability, you can be fine without physicality. You really can. You know, he's still coming off the bench and showing his class and winning games as he did on Saturday. That through ball won the game for Toluca. 
apparently this is going to be his last season. I remember him saying before that he was going to retire at the end of the first season I ever watched in Liga Mekis. But he's now been at Toluca since 1999, the previous millennium. 524 league appearances he's made for Toluca. It's just extraordinary. The guy is the definition of a legend. He really is. And if it is to be his final game then you know this season he'll be greatly missed and you know he's he's going to be someone that's always remembered in in history an amazing amazing footballer a couple of questions from at uh, dab2 who asks first of all favorite podcast other than your own so my absolute favorite podcast i think it's the gold standard for podcasts is um, the World Football Phone-In, which is on BBC Five Live. It's on uh, Friday nights. It's something like two in the morning for in the UK. So, um, yeah, work out whatever that is for you in the US. But I always listen to the podcast. Uh, it's, 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 so it's a live show that's on the radio, but it's, you can listen to the podcast as well. Just search um, like BBC World Football Phone-In to find it. They have every week Tim Vickery, who, if you don't know, is a Brazilian, an English journalist that works in Brazil, focused on South American football. He's, in my opinion, the best football journalist right now. They also have other people from different parts of the world and uh, every week to join Tim. And one of them who is often on is John Arnold, who you'll probably know as a you know Liga Mekis and CONCACAF um, re- journalist. And uh, so he is often on the show talking about a CONCACAF football and yeah he's he's really good in the show the the show has a, a it's a great sort of cult um, feel to the show they you know there's lots of, sort of recurring jokes and you hear some incredible insight on, on it so yeah absolutely without a doubt my favourite podcast is the World Football Phone-In other podcasts specifically Liga Mekis of course you have the Mexican Soccer Show, which features pretty much all uh, all the top uh, Liga Mekis journalists, the, you know the the guys who work for ESPN, um, who all do great stuff. So that that's a good show. Then the new uh, Chivas del Norte podcast, that's um, part of the Colorful Kit family, uh, has has been really good so far. I've I've really enjoyed the first couple episodes they've done. So that's another one uh, I would definitely check out. The other one from at Dab2, really, really interesting. This is probably my favorite question I've ever been asked on this um, podcast so far. So it is, what is your approach to watching a game you're trying to analyze slash write about? What types of things are you looking for whilst the game is going on? So it really depends. Uh, so sometimes I go into a game thinking of pretty much an aim, like a defined aim of, of this is what I want to get out of the game. And sometimes I do that because it's a team that I haven't watched much recently, particularly that comes at the start of the season when, you know, maybe they've changed manager or they've got a few new signings, they're playing a slightly different system and I've got to work out how they're playing, what their tactic is, who's in good form, who's in bad form, etc. So often, yeah, it's kind of like, oh, I haven't seen Atlas for a while. I I need to focus and try and learn a little bit about Atlas today. Sometimes it's looking for something specific. So, for example, 
the Leon Toluca game, I was kind of um, oh, actually, a better example is the Cruz Azul Tigres game, because I was really, really specifically looking at Cruz Azul and Paco Hemis's system and how he would counteract the Tigres possession style. So, how he was gonna, you know, whether he was gonna press them, whether he was gonna sit off, he ended up pressing them incredibly high and disrupted the team really, really well. So that was something that I went into the game, you know, I was specifically looking for that. But other times I don't look for anything. Other times I, I just watch the game and see what stands out for me. And sometimes things jump out at me and I love it. I love that moment when I'm watching a game and I'm like, that's it. But you know, I, I pick something out and I'm like, that's a fantastic point. You, you kind of get that sort of self pat on the back feeling. Um, that I've, I've come up with something good and I'm like yes I can write about this it's going to be great it's going to be great but other times I don't sometimes I watch games and I'm like yeah I okay well that team's winning yeah uh, I'm not you know exactly sure why this team's played a little bit better than others so it's difficult sometimes things jump out at you and, and sometimes they just don't um, I'd say but something I always try to do is to kind of question myself and to challenge and push myself. So I I use the, when I'm talking to myself in my head when I'm watching games, because that's what I do, I use the word why a lot. So I, I'm, I'm always kind of asking myself, but why is this happening? Why is that team creating more chances than the other? Um, why is that player dominating the game? Why have they been able to score that goal? You know, what did they do? Was it, was it the strike? But was it also the movement of that player? Was it that pass, that vision? Was it that defensive error, the slack marking? Why, how, etc. Constantly asking myself questions and trying to think, uh, to, to dig deep and, and to try and get something that is not just your average um, a piece of analysis because yeah that's 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 what I try and do uh, I'm I don't think look at the end of the day most people watching football know a fair amount about football most of my followers know a fair amount so if I'm going to write something interesting that they want to read and want to keep coming back and to read you know want to keep coming back to me and read my stuff then it's got to be more than than just basic and so that's why I'm always trying to come up with something that's yeah, a, a, a bit deeper, a bit more interesting, perhaps, um, so that um, people enjoy my stuff. So, yeah, that's that's kind of how I do it. it. It it really depends on the game, like I said. Sometimes I have a specific plan of, of something I want to get out of the game, and other times I, I sit back and take it in and, and see if anything jumps out at me. Uh, two more questions before the end of the show and at the Colourful Kit asks top five U23 players in Liga Mekis this season if there's even five that get playing time there's way more than five that get playing time I don't know what you're talking about there's loads uh, I actually had to omit some potential ones I have by the way before if someone complains that I haven't included Pizarro Rodolfo Pizarro he's now turned 23 so I thought I'd take it as U23 right now rather than U23 at the start of the season so, yeah, before anyone complains to me about not mentioning Pizarro. The five I've gone for are Eric Gutierrez, who has the highest passing accuracy in Liga Mekis right now, 89.6%, should have been the Mexico squad. 
Oberlin Pineda, absolutely crucial to Chivas' style. You know, massive, massive signing for, for them and for Almeida and has just grown into a, a dominant role so, so well. Highly impressed. Guido Rodriguez, over 200 balls recovered this season. Massive, massive player for Tijuana. Um, a major reason why they're, they're having another good season. Edson Alvarez, I would say, has, has done really, really well, I think, for America. He's had to play here, there and everywhere, pretty much. Centre-back, defensive mid, right wing-back on, on Sunday. And I think wherever he's been, he's done a great job. You know, I love I love the potential that this guy has. He's so calm, um, so good in possession. He's got a lot of technical quality about him. He's a clever player, and with his height, he's got physicality as well. So, really excited about his future. Another defender finally makes it in, uh, who's Cesar Montes, another player who really should have been in the Mexico squad for me. I don't see why a player like Nestor Araujo gets in the squad ahead of him. I think you know Montes has consistently been a top one of the top defenders in in Liga Mekis for a while, and this guy always impresses with his again like Alvarez his calmness his his ability to to play out from the back his qualities in possession. He also um, is fantastic at winning slide challenges. His timing of, of tackles is really, really impressive. And he, he doesn't make many mistakes. When Monterey concede and it's a defensive error, it's usually Basanta or Pidis. It's, it's not normally Cesar Montes. In Monterey have only conceded 10 goals this season. And um, I think he's their best defender. So for me, he really should be in the Mexico squad. Right, let's finish off with one last question which comes from at QLE12, who asks um, about the Pachuca performance without Chucky. Of course, they lost 3-0 to Querétaro, their heaviest defeat in Liga Mekis since 2015. Yeah, I wrote, I wrote about this in my uh, weekend review on foodmexsource.com, uh, if you want to check that out. I thought this was really interesting to see Pachuca without Gutierrez and Lozano. So I don't know how long it's been since, you know, obviously Pizarro's left to Chivas as well. I don't know how long it's been since they played without, you know, those three that have defined the club in the past few years, but probably a really long time. And to be honest, they looked lost, absolutely lost without Lozano and uh, Gutierrez. They were 2-0 down within 12 minutes and the second goal from Neri Cardoso was ridiculous. I mean, the Querétaro counterattacked like it was... The 90th minute of the game. Absurd amount of space. And that is perhaps due to Gutierrez not being on the field. You know, the captain not being out there. Um, marshalling his troops. Yeah, Pachuca were poor. And look, they've got a fantastic youth set up. They've got great um, scouting and recruitment. But I think this proves... I know it's only one game and you shouldn't take too much from one game but it shows that potentially they might struggle a little bit um, when and I'm assuming that they will leave but when Gutierrez and Lozano do leave and you know these two players for me should be playing in Europe they are comfortably good enough to, to do so I don't think they, that playing in Mexico is bad for their development but I think they're ready to make the step up now and yeah, but Pachuca, 
I think will struggle a little bit in the short term without them. But they should have some players to come through. And, um, you know, there's, there's a, a, lot, a lot of quantity of youth talent within the Pachuca squad right now. But I'm not sure there's quite that quality of your Gutierrez and, and Lozano looking back to how good they were when they were coming through as, as 18-year-olds. Okay, guys, so that's it for this week. We've been through plenty of stuff. Um, obviously, big week coming up for Mexico, who play two massive World Cup qualifiers that could define how comfortable this World Cup qualifying campaign is for them. So, yeah, I hope you guys are excited for that. Uh, perhaps a little bit nervous too, but hopefully many excited. And thanks again for the questions, and I will see you all next time on the Colourful Kit Podcast Extra.